Hi everyone, welcome to Joystick Philosophy, a podcast at crossroads of gaming, culture, philosophy and media. We are your hosts, Nicolaus Padoni. And I'm Guilherme Foscolo. In this culinary experience of an episode, we had a wonderful time with Miguel Sicard, a professor at the IT University of Copenhagen. He conducts research and experiments on the design and culture of playable media. We engage in an exciting conversation delving into his most recent book titled Playing Software, Homo Ludens and Computational Culture, published now in 2023 by MIT Press. We discuss various intriguing topics including games and politics, software as alien agencies, the entanglement of humans in software, as well as soccer and a plethora of video games. So here we go, hope you have fun. All Good. right, I've approved for the recording now on my end. So, yes. <laughs> so everything, everything should be fine. And now I'm, uh, yeah, so now it's been recorded. So I want to be on record that I am uh, chopping jalapenos. So uh, if I put my fingers <laughs> now in my eyes, I will start crying. <laughs> so it's not, it's not the questions that you ask. It will be the jalapeno. I will blame it on, I will blame it on. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> So, uh, let me just count to three, and then we're going to start, just for when we're going to edit this to have, you know what? No, you have point. to leave the jalapenos part. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> you can always <laughs> that, that, edit that's it good. in afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Professor Sicard, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you here at Joystick Philosophy to talk about your most most recent book, uh, Playing Software, Homo Ludens in Computational Culture, just published by the MIT Press. And uh, so for starters, what we usually do is a brief exposition of the conceptual tools. And in line with that, I'd propose you explain to us your innovative take on the concept of play, moving away from Huizinga, Calois and Bernard Suits and closer to Argentine philosopher Maria Lugones. And second, uh, on the concept of interface, which we found rather interesting as this is space for entanglement between software and player. And last, mm -hmm. about the concept of play things and how it fits your general theory of play. All right. Uh, thanks so much for having me here. And uh, thanks for those uh, phenomenal questions. Uh, basically, let's, uh, let's summarize the, the main points of the book uh, in, in a way that's approachable. All right. So... Let's start with the play theory, because that's, I think, um, something that it's, um, I think it's perhaps one of the one of the ideas that drove me to finish the book the way it was finished. So when I started writing uh, playing software, I had no intention of, um, you know, trying to rewrite play theory. I thought I'm, I'm just going to use the framework that I presented in Play Matters to try to uh, explain why we play with computers. But then as time passed, I realized that um, it was less interesting to discuss why we play with software from the perspective of classic play theory and way more interesting to start, um, you know, getting into trouble, which is reading critical takes on the tradition of play theory uh, that we are uh, familiar with in the Western world and uh, trying to come up with, with sort of ways of of giving other voices and other discourses a more central position in uh, our canon of play and, and play studies. And that's how I found the work of uh, Maria Lugones. Um, 
and and in my in that search for an alternative for um this tradition of play Luganes stood out because um I think her work is enormously productive even though it's not I'm, you know it's not a work that's about play her her work is about playfulness but it it kind of helps us shift the balance that we have in classic play theory from a more sort of orthodox traditional western tradition of the subject object dichotomy of the things that are um, made that are outside and that we as agents sort of reach out to and there's this kind of like tense distance between uh, the, the the subject and the world and Lugan is what what opens up for what I think it's extremely productive is her idea of uh, world traveling so the idea that one of the fundamental uh, interesting ways of being in the world is to travel to other worlds with a playful attitude, with a loving attitude, so that we get to know other uh, subjects in her work. I would call them agents, so I can include non-human agents. Um, and in that, in that process, sort of have a relation to the concept of rules, have a relation to the concept of fun, have a a relation to the concept of expression and construction of a world. So what Luganes gave me was the, the way into a, a relational theory of play. And I think what I'm trying to do, uh, both in the book and in the work that I'm trying to sort of put together now, is to shift the focus from play to this kind of discrete activity of a subject in the world to a relational mode of entangling with human and non-human agents around the world. That has to do with the identification of rules, the way we relate to those rules, and the way agents shape themselves so they can become entangled. So I think um, my sort of novel theory of, not novel, because it's not that novel, right? I'm, I'm not a, I, don't see, I don't see myself as an original thinker. I'm a synthetic thinker. So what I do is I take other people's work and I synthesize it in such a way that I can make sense of it. Um, and so what, what I think what Luganes gives me is um, the possibility of combining ideas of play that are not of the classic Western tradition with ideas of philosophy of technology that are not necessarily part of, this, of, of the central canon of, of philosophy of technology. So through Luganes and world traveling, I can use Donna Haraway to think about the potential of play. Because Haraway, Haraway's work has a, a massive play angle um, that she highlights, um, but it's very difficult to sort of really fit into classic Hoisinghan, uh, uh, even, even sort of Goffmanian theories of play. Because it's so, it's, it's so political to start, but it's also so, so weird and so alien and so sort of breaking the conventions of, of traditional Western philosophy. So through uh, Luganes, I have the philosophical foundation to bring um, research like Haraway's or theories like Haraway to uh, uh, sort of try to make sense of what happens when we are playing with agents that are uh, computational, that are not human. So, so that's what um, uh, Luganes gives me. And therefore, I would just go back to saying my, my proposal in, in uh, playing software is to think about play as a relational mode of entangling um, with human and non-human agents. And I'm particularly interested in uh, entangling or relating to um, 
computational agents, and that's why the book is called Playing Software. This also means that um, with this theory, I can start, or with this foundation, I can start thinking about, okay, so what happens when we play with software? And my argument is that um, software of all kinds is a, a form of agent in the world, and one that it's radically different from all technologies before. And like I've, you know, some people have been calling that a, a technological deterministic argument, um, and I can see why. But at the same time, I think that software is a is a sort of a unique, separate, different technology than the ones we've had before, and that we need to treat it um, as as a unique a sort of tipping point in in the history of technology. And we can discuss about that later. But but sort of like given this foundation, my premise is software is an agent in the world. It changes our agency and the world itself, and we need to relate to it. So if we want to make uh, sort of an understanding, if we want to think about how we or where this this relation with software happens, then we can appropriate the concept of interface and say, well, interface is a location, is a place where two agencies meet. We tend to see it in, or we tend to think about the concept of interface in the classic old-fashioned design way, uh, buttons and 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 sliders and and all kinds of sort of um, locations for interaction. But to me, they are not locations for interaction; they are locations for agency. In the interface, uh, human agents and artificial agents modify each other so they can together live in a kind of a, a novel world, a novel. Um, Sort of not physical, not digital, but combination of both worlds, and that's a, I think that's kind of like the the an idea that I wrote in in playing software in its own chapter as kind of like a separate thing. But it actually it's something that I you know looking back into it, it's something that I've been writing since I started writing about games because my my massive philosophical influence comes from um, Luciano Floridi's philosophy of information, and of course in the background of my theory or idea of interface is the concept of uh, infosphere. So um, this environment in which uh, human and computational or digital agency meet together. So in, in his work, Floridi writes about the infosphere. I specified it to the interface. So in the infosphere, that's where we all inhabit with software. The interface is the place in the infosphere where we connect to each other. Um, so that's like my my take on the concept of infosphere. And all of this led me to think, hold on, what I'm interested in is not necessarily games or video games or digital toys. I, I am interested in all kinds of, oh, and if you hear sizzling in the back, uh, it's because I'm actually cooking. So for the listeners out there, um, the sizzling is, uh, I'm, ma I'm, making, um, I'm making a little <laughs> bit of food right now. So... So it's always good to to think while yeah. cooking. I find it uh, I find it sort of deeply relaxing. Um, Absolutely. And and hopefully hopefully it will taste good. Um, and that's a and it adds the to the part. argument. It adds to the <laughs> argument. It does. So um, so anyway, so so my concept of uh, play and also this idea of play drove me to to think about how limiting our concepts of games and toys and playgrounds are and how. This relational mode of thinking about play almost demands us to rethink the concepts of, of games and, and toys and so on. So I, I, I hate coming up with new concepts or new terms, but in this case, it, it was necessary to 
try to uh, appropriate or claim the concept of plaything as the ontological uh, concept that covers any kind of uh, material technology or technology that we play with. So the plaything is a material, it's a, it's a thing that ex it comes to being when we are at play. And it comes to being um, through our agency, but also through other, other multiple agencies. And by doing this, I, I am allowed to say uh, video games or games or actually video games and games are different types of placings. And um, we have other types of placings that we don't have a clear category for. And I guess what, what, what I think is the sort of the biggest tragedy of the book, which is not the biggest tragedy, I'm over-dramatizing things, but you know, I'm Spanish, so I like sort of dramatizing things. Uh, I like the drama. So, um, <laughs> so the biggest tragedy of the book is that while I was writing it, and even at the late stages of it, and I think it's a critique that that hopefully maybe somebody will withdraw, and it would be fair. It's not very heavy on examples because, well, um, there were not that many examples. I mean, I knew what I was looking for, but then all my examples were sort of like flowing into things like social media and uh, video games and so on. So almost right when I finish and the book gets published, the world explodes with generative AIs, which to me are the most obvious case of placing. They are not games, they're not toys, but we definitely approach them from a perspective of play. And what's more, we have no idea what to do with them because we are approaching them as a placing. Um, so like a lot of the cultural problems that we have with these technologies is that we think they are tools, but they're actually placings. And our mode of relating to them is not dominantly productivity or socializing, but it's actually play. And then we backpedal all the time because we are thinking like, oh, hold on, people are playing with this, they're doing horrible things. It's like, of course they are. It's, they are presenting themselves as something you can play with. Of course we are going to push the boundaries. Of course it's going to you know, sound and look and we are going to try to, to, to play with them. So, so that is kind of like what I would say the best case study for understanding my concept of placing is to look at ChatGPT and the behaviors that we've engaged with since the moment it was released until probably ChatGPT 4.0, where um, OpenAI kind of doubled down on um, sort of limiting the technology. So that's my concept of placing. So if anybody's interested in, in sort of applying it, I think, I think uh, doing it with, um, with AIs would be the best, the best way to do it. And I'm going to turn the camera a little bit because I need to properly make my uh, <laughs> chili here. So, so yeah, so that's a, this is almost also but, a plaything. So there, there am I. Yes. But, but you know, this was an incredible, incredible introduction for the book. <laughs> Thank you. Like, you, Thank you. Almost a, almost a review by yourself, like <laughs> goes to all the important <laughs> concepts that then amazing I've, I've really been thinking about this book for a long time so like i have all of these ideas and, and i really appreciate that i that you give me this time to to talk about it because like i like i like you know um this is my fourth book so and i enjoy writing books it's the best because it allows me to to sort of um they are kind of like um uh messages in a bottle that i throw out there and you never know who is going to get them and they live through time so so 
So I, I really like this kind of like remote distance communication aspect of it. But at the same time, the second you finish a book, you start thinking, well, um, I should have written some things differently. And so to me, the book is a conversation starter. And I'm really happy that that um, you invited me here because it's it's this is what the book was about. The book was about us talking about the ideas. Whatever the book contains, it's fine, it's good. But but the important thing is to get to talk about those ideas. Whether and I'm we, right or wrong, we, it's less important. We are happy that you you came because, uh, anyways, the book read from our end like a very delightful, you know, uh, oh, read. Thank you. It's thank you. <clears throat> it and and actually, yeah. I think that you. Were, I think that you accomplished that idea to to sound or resonate less academic and more, you know, like a conversation yeah. with people interested in the subject. And that okay, worked. that's um, I'm happy to hear. Yeah. Uh, one of the most interesting parts, actually, of a book, I thought, uh, is your take on software as alien agencies uh, materialize, yes. like in computer-like devices. Uh, I yeah. think it's ingenious because it allows us to see how, in spite of being human-made products, we barely understand their effects until they already are a reality. It's the case, for instance, of the many underlying problems of softwares like Face ID, magnified when applied to surveillance, but also of the social media remediation of politics, if we could call it that way. But this on the negative side of it, what you call negative entanglement. And I was thinking that your book brings up the possibility of a positive side. And this is interesting because Even in the case of software, softwares with such heavy negative effects, uh, it opens up this possibility of interactions that are like locked within the software as a relational potential. Uh, so the question would be, what do you think it takes to unlock those potentials from softwares like social media and, and, and such? That's a, that's a very good question. And this is where I will, I guess I, it's, it's, turn, it's time to turn political. Um, so... Um, I'm not going to try to list conditions, but, but it might sound as a list. So the first thing is um, abolish capitalism. <laughs> And it sounds very easy. So like, you know, step one, abolish capitalism, then we. But so, <laughs> yeah. so this is not clear. And, and of course, you know, there's complicated conversations to have around that. But we cannot software. We tend to think about software. We tend to be presented software as this kind of like magical technology that comes from nowhere, but it's actually produced by people under the conditions of capitalism. And therefore, our interactions with it are almost always going to be under the conditions of capitalism. So what we need to start, maybe, is, I mean, ideally abolish capitalism and get into a more humane mode of relating to others, a more humane political mode of relating to others. But if that cannot be done, at least generating the awareness or, or making being aware of this conditions of production and conditions of consumption. The possibilities are there, but if we use them, if we use the tools as they are presented to us, we are just going to reproduce these cycles of, of consum consumption and value extraction. So that's like the first, the first condition to unlock um, the potential of these of this alien agencies is to, um, if not abolish capitalism, at least be aware of this nature. And then the second step is to develop individual and communal tactics to really engage with these agents and their potential and shape the possible worlds they contain in such way that they enhance um, our well-being and they also enhance collective well-being. 
So I'm going to go back to um, uh, Floridi's philosophy of information because there's one concept that he throws um, or that he uh, proposes as part of his ethics, which is that of creative stewardship. So in the infosphere, both humans and artificial agents have creative stewardship. And it's a great concept that he really doesn't explain that much. It's sort of kind of a value-driven ethics, but to me, it's fundamental. What we need to have is, after we are aware that we cannot reproduce the modes of capital built into the systems, then we need to say, this agents and us need to be able to create worlds that are not reproducing those models, that are actually exploring new models and exploring new possibilities. So, sorry, I disappeared. People might be coming home. So, um, so that's <laughs> that's exactly what. Yeah, <laughs> life life is happening as we are talking. This is great. Um, so that's that's I think to me the second the second step that we don't see alien agency as an instrument, that, but we actually see it as a companion. And then I'm, of course, drawing back again to the notion of companionship that I, you know, I, I'm very inspired by Donna Haraway. So companionship with his alien agencies in this kind of sense of together being a steward, creative stewards of the possible new worlds that we can create with them. That should be a negation of the capital models that are driving uh, this, this particular technology. So, so I think that's, and I, you know, I think that, we see sometimes these possibilities, right? The people who are experimenting and playing with technology and suddenly offering us new modes of, of experiencing them, they know that we need to move away from the way technology is intended to be and that we can create alternatives. Most of these, of these people who explore alternatives are artists, um, but you know the relation between, between art and place is... Uh, well-known historically. I mean, after all, a lot of our understanding of play comes from aesthetic thinking. So so the arts would be the, the first place where I would look for, for those kind of behaviors. But also sort of deeply political engagements with them would also work. I'm very fascinated by currently by um, this particular behavior that, that has emerged in the context of large language models and um, if their uses, uh, there's a behavior called prompt injection, where you can trick a, la a language model to break its own instructions. And right now we are using it mostly um, for fun and, and to see how things break. But to me, there's an impressive potential of actually taking this technology and say, like, look, we can break its chains, not to say stupid racist stuff, but to actually together formulate new possibilities, right? So. And again, that falls on us. It's it's like that is that is the the ethos of that, which I think is by the end what I want to what I really wanted to write with playing software. There's an ethos to the way we play with these alien agencies and we relate to them, and that's what should be driving our interactions. So, so yeah, we can so break the Skynet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We can, but we don't need to break it in the sense that it doesn't need to disappear. We can break it in the sense that we can. Uh, we can reuse it. So I am, I am, uh, I'm also part of this work on, on prompt injections also has to do with my interest in the Ludit movement. So, so I'm, I'm going back to the Ludits, which is crazy. Uh, who would have thought? Um, and my interest in the Ludits comes from, uh, can we adapt some of the 
ideas of the Luddites into a more, instead of destructive, more productive way of engaging with technology? Can we make breaking technology a productive act rather than a, and a negative act? Can we, can we end up having a Luddite ethics of technology, one that starts and takes as a fundamental principle breaking, but breaking as creative stewardship and not breaking as destructive, uh, uncreative or, or sort of negative uh, engagement. So that's like that's what I'm sort of working on now in in my extension of of uh, playing software. There you go. I gave you that's, I gave you a, sort yeah. of a, a, a sneak peek on the future work. No, uh, that's I think that's fantastic, um, Miguel. Because um, as you were answering, I was uh, re remembering here of Kitla specifically uh, mm -hmm. a situation there in which uh, Kittler hated Apple. He hated Steve Jobs. Yes. He hated that, right? <laughs> and he hated precisely because they had all those beautiful, let's say, um, um, interfaces created yeah. for user experience and, and etc., which to his point of view, alienated the, the user from Yes. The code, the hard coding, the hardware, etc., and yeah. and in a way, I mean, he liked Linux. He did because he had to. He had to work with the code. Yes. He didn't like the interface, right? So he wanted to abolish yeah. interface. Yeah. Uh, which, in this sense, I think you can understand uh, this negative view of the software and of the interface. But yeah. in this case, I think you're saying that. He, you don't have to. Uh, you don't. You don't need this sort of nerd radical solution that Kittler had no. that you have to program. You can become aware of the software and the interface through playing, not using. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So it's a it's a perfect bridge between the the kind of ideas I have and Kittler's um, traditional sort of or not traditional Kittler's idea of engaging with the material of, of the of engaging with the practice of commanding a computer as the real way of understanding how they work and so um for kitler it was really just programming that was the, the sort of entry point and to me it is playing because i mean there's always going to be programming but i'm more perhaps i'm more leaning towards a, a, a more <laughs> And a different understanding of uh, the everyday life and everyday life practices, and and in everyday in every life, in everyday practices, playing with these systems is more uh, affordable, democratic, perhaps, or at least uh, uh, it has a lower barrier of entry than than programming. And that said, I also think that everybody should understand how to use the command line, and that all computers should be should start with the command line. I use an, uh, an Apple device. I use a, a graphic uh, user interfaces all the time. But when I have to do real work, I jump on the command line because that's that's where you're literally in this kind of conversation with the computer, right? The main difference to me is that the command line is not playful, but the prompt line is very playful because it accepts natural language, right? So we are suddenly having all the possibilities, all the ambiguities of human language as a way of instructing a computer system. Uh, and that's where you know, we have a blooming, sorry, a blooming opportunity for, for play. Sorry. 
No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I just remember that uh, when my family bought the first PC back in the nineties, uh, the way that we as kids used to play MS DOS. I mean, yes. we were interacting with DOS and not with the beautiful interface and whatever, no, and no, it no. felt playful. Yeah. It was. It was exactly. I mean, I, I. I find a lot of the a lot of the kind of hacking work that you do on the command line. Once you get a little bit of fluency, it is a lot of playful. What can I pipe from you know this process to that process so I can do like kind of weird, random stuff? Back in the days where Twitter was not a horrible place or was a less horrible place, I used to follow an account with like command line tricks, and all of them were like mind blowing relations with this artificial agent that's the, the, the sort of the computer running stuff right and and you know seeing the world through not seeing the world seeing that the, the world the computer lives in seeing this data it feeds with seeing seeing so getting a, a conversational way of, of making sense of the world this this software lives in and by extension we also live in but it's crazy it's phenomenal it's the best uh, Miguel, also, uh, do you mind if I just ask something? You said you didn't have many examples, but I actually, um, you, you talk about, for example, Into the Breach and FIFA when you're talking about yes. playing with, with AI. Yeah. I, I, I've played both games, um, even though I'm more of an XCOM guy, but um, my partner, Laura, she she's also crazy about Into the Breach. And I sent her the, the passage and she... she <laughs> She had the same feeling uh, that yeah. you had. However, I am the FIFA player in in the in the duo here, and I, I mean, I completely agree with what you're saying, but I I wanted to just briefly discuss this because I thought it was interesting, because I felt that your idea of uh, ultimately being a game in which it depends on how you. Um, interact with your partner AI by reading the opposite AI and etc. Mm -hmm. It it to me it is precisely FIFA's um, failure as a football system as a football simulator. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. It, you know because it, I yeah <laughs> I I mean I and I played FIFA since I was six years old when I was uh, FIFA ninety nine and. Yes. And I so I grew up as a single player who liked to get a club, you know, build it from yeah. from ground up and and make the team transactions and play against the computer long seasons etc. And yeah. in a very in a simulation way, and it's just so tiring that it's all about recognizing the patterns. It yeah. it might I was even thinking how it might it might have something to do with the fact that. Um, since you were discussing how um, what creates playfulness is the limitations mm -hmm. that a game imposes to, yeah. to to certain actions, and that which is also I think it's a sort of a common idea of what creates a yeah. game. You create artificial limitations, etc. I think that when I, I play hockey here in Ithaca. Yeah. which maybe is the extreme case of this, but it's also in soccer's the precariousness of possession. Yeah. And I think that is a great problem in FIFA, you know, because there's no precariousness of possession. It's just like, yep. tuck, 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 it's perfect. And yeah. 
when this rule is not observed and then the simulation fails as a simulation and then it becomes an AI interaction problem. Um, yeah. I, I'm just, I just mean, I understand <laughs> your point. It also shows how maybe yeah. subjective the playfulness is because that is Absolutely. precisely what I don't enjoy about it. Absolutely. And I, I totally see your point. And it's a conversation that I've had because I've been playing FIFA for a long time before FIFA actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm a, I'm a refugee in FIFA because my game was pro evolution soccer. Like that's the, that was the game. But yeah, we had, somehow we had a winning 11. It was called, remember this before? Exactly, winning 11. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think pro Evo was the, the name it was sold with in, in Europe and winning 11 in the U maybe something like that. I don't know. I it was in remember. it was I, in I Japan and yeah Japan. we yes. we we played the false versions that we could get in Brazil and they yeah. were in Japanese, so we yeah. had to learn how to navigate in the menus. Oh, that's that's phenomenal. That's great. But so okay, so um, uh, FIFA is not a football simulator. It's not a soccer simulator. That's that's the biggest lie of them all. It's kind of it's a game of its own. It's sort of similar to. To soccer, it kind of resonates with it, but it's really not soccer. And anybody who watches, plays, or enjoys soccer in any form, when they start playing FIFA, they they have to relearn the game. It has nothing to no, nothing. It has only similarities. They're kind of cousins. So FIFA is not simulating soccer. FIFA is simulating the moneyball version of soccer, where you eliminate what you say the precariousness of um possession you eliminate the importance of midfield in soccer midfield is uh, key in in fifa midfield is kind of the passing zone which is like run there um you highlight you know how 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 do can great players who are sort of data invisible or very difficult to see through data uh, how how do they fare in fifa they fare poorly anyway so fifa has nothing to do with nothing again okay i'm exaggerating so i'm FIFA has absolutely nothing to do with the game of soccer. It's just a simulation of a different game, um, of a different understanding or interpretation of game. And in that sense, I totally agree with with uh, your view on on sort of the limits of of um, FIFA and the fact that it is basically a pattern matching game. Particularly when you play it online, as I describe in the book, against other people, it's all about reading these patterns and re reacting to patterns. It's I would say. Now that nobody's listening, I would say that FIFA Online and 1v1 is closer to playing Tetris than to playing soccer. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's and what, what, What's yeah. interesting about that is that, you know, this kind of uh, computa computational uh, program became so ingrained that it seems like impossible to, to propose a different game. It's like people were... People already are expecting the same kind of, uh, uh, I don't yeah. know, simulation. It's not a simulation, but the same kind of game from next iterations of the game. So yes, we are stuck. We are stuck in this loop where uh, the optimal way we have of thinking about how to simulate soccer is not a soccer simulation, and it's just <laughs> you know we are stuck there. With it, there's nothing else to do. And of course, you know, not to bring it again to capitalism, but with the amount of money that uh, Electronic Arts makes with FIFA, it's never going to change. There's no competition. It's locked there. <laughs> uh, not to sound very capitalist, realist, but like, we are pretty much stuck with that. And I mean, no, so by the end of the day, yeah. 
I want to critique it, but I also love it. So, <laughs> you know. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I but learned to love it when beat. I realized it was not a it was not a soccer game. It was just a different thing. Yeah. But I, I, I also get the kind of relationship you had with FIFA because the, as you put in the book, it's the kind of game that, you know, you arrive home tired from work and it fits. It fits yeah. specific situations of, you know, day by day life. So exactly. It, it becomes this kind of very comfortable, mundane practice of play. And those are the ones that I am really interested in. I'm like all about the, this kind of mundane practices of play. Whether with video games or or with with other technologies, whether with other playthings, I'm I, I think the mundane is is the most interesting domain. Uh, Miguel, moving a little bit, uh, I don't know to perhaps uh, the only uh, negative, how to put it, not negative but darker side of uh, of your book, the darker yeah. chapter, which is the chapter on Kienon, and uh, you know uh, yes. you address. <laughs> You, 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 because it's it, it's such a happy and propositive, you know, and 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 light book, and then there is that chapter which is which condensates all all, all the all negative of the, effects, all of the dark side, yes, exactly. And then you 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 depart from you know uh, that article which I read, uh, uh, I also read by by Reid Berkowitz, uh, in which yes. he he goes to analyze the phenomena from the, the gamer designer's perspective and all that. And uh, but right from the start of your chapter, you take the time to state that Kianon and other conspiracy theories, etc., are not games. Yep. You, you 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 put it uh, yep. like clearly. But those phenomena, as we know, cannot be explained solely by the illusory attitude of those who take part on it mm -hmm. and uh, who would have borrowed it from whatever games they play. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I mean, reading reading the chapter, it felt to me. Like, like, like somehow you're proposing they are borrowing it from other, other stuff and, and, you know, and, 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 and bringing it to, to Kienon and whatever. But, uh, your book opens up these perspectives of softwares also having this negative effect from the entanglement, uh, yeah. uh, which they can produce, uh, with on or with users actually. And uh, which most of the time seems to emerge from hidden features which make their way through sympathetic or, or supposedly neutral interfaces. So would not this be the case of this technological mesh, if we could call it that, this conglomerate of digital technologies, which include, but it's not limited to social media, uh, mm -hmm. without which Kianon and similar phenomena could never exist. And if that's the case, why avoid calling them games? I mean, Would they fit better playthings as a you know? <laughs> Absolutely. I I so the reason the main reason why I, I was so adamant in not calling them games and also sort of trying not to insist on calling them uh, playthings is that there's a lot of people who have done phenomenal work on, on looking at at um, at this phenomena and and um They have looked at them from very many different perspectives. And I think that just calling them games or playthings would be, um, would actually be almost playing into the trap of QAnon and other conspiracy theories, which would be to limit this to it's just a game. I'm just playing around. It got out of hand. So I didn't want that to happen. And I also wanted to respect and acknowledge the fact that this, this, particular negative side of, of, of playfulness and of play has extremely negative real-life consequences. 
that cannot be trivialized and again cannot be shielded by this kind of old it's just a game kind of argument right so so that's the reason why i was uh, so defensive about calling them or being explicit about not these things not being games what i do think is that these things are so complex phenomena that if we forget to see them also through the lens of play we are going to be ignoring how they reproduce and how they will mutate to something new in no time because part of the logic dri driving this this online conspiracy theories and these online communities of hate is based on the very system the very algorithmic agent that it's propagating this phenomena right so the way uh, attention is grabbed by these systems by pulling certain posts up and down the form of anonymity that these systems afford the massive dispersion of ideas that these systems afford but i think to me most importantly how they require non they almost call for non trivial effort to to be part of so so they are in that sense they are kind of game like you you need an effort to participate in the conspiracy theory but you don't need to leave the quiet closed world of the environment where these ideas came from do your own research is always do your own research within the closed world where these ideas are all propagated and connected and that's why um plays a very good angle to say well some of these things are presented as games and some of them are presented as toys and some of them have discursive discursive elements of play language so we need to take into consideration how people might enter to them because of the pleasures of play the non trivial effort to reach a result um the pleasure of living in a closed world and that might reproduce itself on the next whatever iteration we are going to have of these dark uh, behaviors with and through computational agents through software so so that's why uh, there's another to, point to that yes yeah the, the other point is that i think that when using the word game has this negative effect you you, you just said but at the same time I feel that, you know, uh, Kianon version, uh, Brazilian version of Kianon, which was yeah. Gabinete do Ódio, a kind of yeah. hatred cabinet produced by yeah. our ex-president and his family and all that, bring yeah. to light uh, something that Kianon fails to bring to light, which is there are two games being played. Yep. Th this is not spontaneous. That There are people producing it you know, from one yeah. end, which in Brazil, uh, they are under investigation by police and, and, and et cetera. We know yeah. they exist. It's not yeah. like it's spontaneous, like some, you know, Kianon uh, reports have, yeah. have made yeah, us yeah, believe yeah. it to be. So yeah. it doesn't emerge spontaneously. So. No, no, no. These are, so some of them emerge spontaneously. And one of the interesting things about digital culture nowadays is that some people have developed enough um uh, let's say cultural literacy that they know how to create these things on purpose but they seem to look spontaneous so some people have learned to create interfaces where we we meet and then we think that we have discovered this thing while by the end of the day it's just a game that has been designed by somebody with nefarious purposes so so absolutely there's there's an element of you know, game design to them that it that needs to be 
highlighted in order to understand how these things uh, propagate and how they 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 have an effect. So absolutely, we cannot just say that they are emergent properties. These things are also uh, uh, curated and and designed by by people. So absolutely, yeah. Uh, Miguel, I wanted to ask, since this question of politics and games is being discussed, there was another side of it, which I'm not entirely sure how it might relate to, the, to this question, specifically of the conspiracy theories and games, but it might do. So the question is, um, well, there is this older article that... Um, against procedural procedurality okay. <laughs> yes. which but which in a way i think playing software is is just expanding on it because you, the bit, way yeah. the way you i mean the way you theorize the way you get out of procedural procedurality is through a different comprehension of play which yep. again i think you're working with this expanding this now in the in the new book And yep. and it, it became news in Brazil again because our president, um, I mean, we're very grateful that he won. You know, we're not. That's not the point. But he just again this week he reproduced that old same old talk about, um, oh, you know, because Brazil started to have some school violence just as in the yeah. U.S. in the past month. And then yeah. he just came with a thing like, oh, because those kids are playing video games and they're not yeah. love video games. You know, they're shooting video games. Yeah. And that's where they're getting the ideas from. And yeah. what, what Guilherme and I have been discussing lately is that, um, as you say in the procedurality, procedurality article, um, this concept emerged to, to, you know, to give games a certain social and political and ethical validity and etc. But our point is that those, um, let's say, conservative and erroneous views on video games, that they influence violent behavior and there's this direct relationship between what is, what is absorbed in the game and what you do in real life, is also like a pernicious and negative effect that presupposes the same procedurality right yes. yeah so i i think i think that that is the that is the point we wanted to discuss this um that oh yeah um, i mean the point we wanted to discuss is um how do you see this term today and do you also would you also agree that procedurality has this negative uh possibility of you absolutely know, yeah yeah um, I think uh, I think that the, the debate around procedurality has thankfully evolved quite a lot since my article back in uh, 2011, if I remember correctly. Um, yes, that's it. And I think yes. So I think a lot of the a lot of the the field in the study of games have moved forward very much, and we I think we have reached that position where sure we understand that it it's important to look at the processes of games, but at the same time, we cannot look at them without the, the human element and the play element. And I think, I think if anything, that's kind of the, the legacy of that conversation was that also that we can have highly procedural systems with like really interesting human 
elements to them and, and really interesting computational uh, procedural systems that say very interesting things about the world. So I think we've moved on. However, this is still what you're, what you're highlighting is really fascinating to me because it has always been one of the things that annoys me the most, not annoys me, I think that's too harsh a word, but like puzzles me the most is that we have a positive proceduralist argument that says that we need video games and video games are good because they can change our moods and behaviors, right? And then the, the second we hear these arguments as like, you know, video games create child violence, it's like, no, 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 no. They actually don't modify human behavior. So yeah, exactly. Unless we are very careful and very thoughtful about what we do, we cannot have our procedural cake and eat it too. And that's why procedurality the, in this kind of like game-centric procedurality fails because it's still only about the object, right? And not about the entanglement of human agency and computational agency meeting at the interface of the plaything we call game. And we really need to understand both things to, to, to understand both the potentials, like how we learn through them and the, and the failures, how people with um, psychological and mental issues see games as a way of, of practicing the horrible acts they will afterwards uh, enact or how people get addicted to games, right? So, so like we cannot have our cake and eat it too. And, and that, is, that has always been my, not always, but it, it's, it's kind of like where I stand on some of these discourses about the always positive discourse about games and how, they, how good they are for the world. Well, if we want them to be good, we need to embrace them being bad. So we cannot, we cannot just take one direction and say like, oh, and the other thing is just, is just fake. I think that this idea you developed from Lugones, you know, of playing as world traveling and entanglement, uh, it's exactly. fundamental to, root, to rooting out this video games violence association yeah. as a bias. Exactly. Yeah. And particularly, I think uh, the part that I enjoyed writing the most is is the part where where I insist that this world traveling needs to be loving. Uh, because love is this kind of word that we don't use that often and we should use more often. And, and it kind of explains that if, if our world traveling to these to this other agents where we meet with these other agents and if these worlds we are created, they come from this loving world traveling, then we already have an ethos in place that allows us to stop negative behaviors, condemn them, and also produce something positive. So So... So, yeah, I mean, it, to me, it's all about loving world traveling. That's, um, that's the key. That's the essence of, of playing. Miguel, uh, it was absolutely great having you here. We don't want to take any more <laughs> of your time. We know that you, you, you probably are already, at, you know, <laughs> you probably it's finished fine. already your, he finished, uh, your dinner. The meal. I, yeah, now, it, now it's, a, it's a stew, so it's kind of like uh, sizzling there, and it will be ready uh, when the rest of the family comes home, so it will be, it will be just great. Uh, and it's always, good. it's always good to do a but, little bit of, of uh, good thinking uh, while cooking. It's, uh, it's two types but of you know, cooking, I love, right? <laughs> I love the experience, you know, of you know, the, an interview and a talk with the cooking and all that. You know, yeah. <laughs> I, I might be doing that in the next interview, cooking and talking too. It feels great. Like <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I hope the food tastes well too. That's the one. Like, uh, I let you know tomorrow if the dinner is uh, is uh, tasty or not. I, I hope you didn't and forget the, ingredients. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> but if I did, For, it was forget the salt conversation. Yeah, yeah. Well, that might have been. If it if it did, it was probably not because of our conversation. I am not a very uh, experienced cook, so I like sometimes forget things. Um, so so yeah. So there's comments. Uh, let's not talk about my my culinary abilities. <laughs> <laughs> and and just as closure. Uh, would you please, I don't know, uh, uh, talk to us a little bit about games you have been playing lately? If you want to, you know, talk just a Absolutely. little bit about yeah. things that caught up your attention. So I have just started uh, playing a little bit of Terranil, uh, which is like a, a city builder, civilization builder, but based on on questioning the ideas of uh, colonial, colonial, colonialism and uh, resource extraction that these games have. I've just recently started playing it, so like I don't have a lot of, of hours under the belt on that one yet. There will come, because it's a phenomenal game. And then I have been indulging quite a lot in, uh, in this kind of psychological horror um, fishing game called Dredge, which is uh, totally my my jam. I've, I've been enjoying it very much. And then um, I have stopped playing Into the Bridge because I found a new uh, a new roguelike that I that I uh, enjoy. So I've, since uh, early 2020, I've been playing Slay the Spire every day. Um, so uh, so yeah, so um, so so that's what I've been uh, that's what I've been playing. Slay the Spire uh, the daily, and then as soon as I've had time, I've been playing Bridge. Uh, we've just had the Easter break here in in Denmark, and I've used a lot of my Easter break hours uh, playing Dread. So highly recommended. Super good game. So again, thank you very much for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. This has been a thank great you. conversation. Thank my you. pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Likewise. All right. This was Joystick Philosophy, bringing only the hot stuff for you. Thank you for tuning in with us today. And if you enjoy the show, please spread the word. Also, we'd love to hear your comments. You can find us on Twitter at JoystickPhil, written Joystick, P-H-I-L, and also at Spotify or your favorite podcast platform. Have a good one, and until the next episode. <laughs>